0: Open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter five. I want to talk to you with a title, I Will Live for Jesus Until He Returns. I know that after I'm dead, there won't be any opposition to living for Jesus, right? Right now, we live in this conflict between heaven and earth with this promise that the king will return. The return of the king. I've been watching way too much Lord of the Rings. I just realized I wrote my entire sermon based upon J.R.R. Tolkien. An old 1947 commentary on the book of James by H.I. Ironside said, not until he, King Jesus, takes over the reins." of government will conditions ever be right in this poor world? Does Jesus rule your life? Is Jesus reigning as king in your life? So let's start with James chapter five, verse seven. Therefore, oh, therefore, I think I'll just preach the whole sermon on that one word. Therefore is a connective link with what happened previously. And last week you were able to see how James switched his audience. Do you remember James chapter 1, the first verse? He says and he's talking to the Christians that have been scattered, the Jewish Christians scattered throughout the world. And suddenly, well take a look at James chapter 5 verse 1. It says, "Come now, you rich people, James starts talking to the rich people. This is last week's sermon, all right. Weep and cry aloud over the miseries that are coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted. Your clothing has become moth-eaten, your gold and silver have become corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and it will consume your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages that were held back by you from the workers who reap your fields cry out, and the cries of the reapers have come to the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived self-indulgently on the earth and have lived luxuriously injuriously. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So what happens when all of these self-indulgent thieves and murderers don't face any opposition? Does anybody feel like that Maybe like kind of the environment of, that we're living in these days? Does injustice actually win? No one, they don't resist you. And we know from what we just read and what we're going to read, no. Misery is coming. Rot and corrosion are coming. Fire is coming. How many of you believe Jesus is returning? You believe that? If you do, turn to somebody and say, I believe Jesus is coming back. Tell them and tell them there will be consequences. I love to tell my grandchildren that. There will be consequences. (laughs) See, James chapter 5, the first six verses are about a false worldview that God is going to judge. It's where the rich oppressors, they view that their life is about personal comfort, personal pleasure, and a worldly lifestyle. But in James chapter 5, verse 7, therefore happens. And then now we ch- have to change the audience. James is no longer talking to the rich people that are oppressing people, oppressing not just people, oppressing the workers, holding back their wages. And it switches now back to, well, look at James chapter 5, verse 7 again. Therefore, be patient, brothers." That's the audience. How many of you love Jesus? Turn to somebody and say that, raise their hand and say, you're my brother in the Lord. Even if you're a girl, you can say it. It's all right. Therefore, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the soil, being patient concerning it until it receives the early and the latter rains. You'll notice as we go through this whole passage, brother is mentioned four times in this passage. And that reference to patience takes place four times as well. And then you'll find that there are three examples of patient endurance that take place in here, And the very first one is a parable about a farmer if i asked right now how many farmers are in the room would andrew raise his hand how many farmers are in the room all right did you know this this sermon's about you guys i i'm not a real farmer one time i got to work in a wheat breeding facility i can't tell you about it it was it's too sensitive all right <laughs> It was wheat breeders. Anyway, that's as much about farming as I know. I, I came in today, it starts raining, and I'm thinking, I don't know, does this, help or hurt, does this help or hurt farmers, this rain today? This one's a good one? This is the late rain, right? So you need the early rain so the seed wakes up. Am I right? Uh, and then you need the late rains that put the, put the real bulk into it, right? And then you gotta let it dry out so you can harvest it. Am I pretty close? All right, that's what I was thinking, the former and later. But here's an example of a farmer, and he's waiting on the rain. And you guys know, the farmer puts it on his calendar. He says, all right, I want the rain to come on this day, and I want this much rain, this many inches of rain. And then that's how it happens. No. What James... His name is really Jacob, so if I slip back and forth between Jacob and James, it's the same guy. He was never James until a guy named King James actually translated the Bible and had some guys translated into English. He was always Jacob before that. His grandpa's name is Jacob. His father's name was Joseph, but his grandpa was Jacob. So this is Jacob. And Jacob is saying here, what I see him saying here, is that a farmer has absolutely no control over one of the most important things in his life. No control. He expects it to rain. Does it rain when you want it to? Never. Do you get the right amount? Never. Farmers are amazing. Let's hear it for farmers. You, you people are awesome because after all the punishment the weather puts you through, you come back the next year and do it again man, I love farmers. I drink your milk every morning. Anyway, the farmer has no control about how much and when that it rains, and it completely affects their living. Your life, you're, maybe you're not a farmer, but your life depends upon factors upon which you have no control whatsoever. You can't control. I don't have any control over when Jesus comes back. I thought he was coming when I was a kid in the 70s. I was born in 1959, man. I thought Jesus was coming back in the 70s. And I thought it was so close. It was so close. And here we are. What is this year? 22, 2022. How many of you feel like it's so close? I don't have any control over that what do i have control over anyway your life depends upon factors many factors in your life have you has anybody here ever tried to control another person has anybody ever been here been married to an italian woman <laughs> it's been the best 41 years of my life <laughs> You can't control other people. What do you think you're doing? That's like you're deliberately planning to fail. I can control this situation. No, you can't. You don't have control any more than the farmer controls when and how much rain is going to come and if it's going to come at the right time and all that. You know, you don't have control because you need to be trusting God no matter what happens. Not just when God makes you happy, but no matter what happens, you have to have faith in God. Do you know who God is? Do you know his nature? It's unchangeable. It's eternal. You can't change God. Bad times don't change God. Good times don't change God. God doesn't love you when he lets you have ice cream for dinner. That's not God showing his love. That's not the only way. God loves you when you're going through the worst part of your life. Do you guys know what I do part-time? I'm a hospice chaplain. I was visiting a 102-year-old woman, and she always gives me good advice, 102. And one of her phrases is, it's a good life if you don't give up. And that's my, I said, that's my sermon don't give up. You can't control things. Trust God no matter what happens. James 5.8 says, you also be patient. Wait a minute. Isn't that what verse seven said? It is. It's the exact same thing. But he's saying, just like the farmer, you also be patient strengthen your hearts because the coming of the Lord is near. God wants to give us strong hearts. I want to have a strong body. But Naren, one of my favorite things to do is sit on the couch and eat cookies and milk and watch the Lord of the Rings. Episode three came out Friday. I was up Thursday night, man, waiting for that thing to roll over and I fell asleep. So I'm, I'm not joking, I really was. I didn't see it, so I had to wait till I, I got off work Friday and it interrupted my sermon preparation, I know. Do you, Naren, did you ever have those little white and pink fudgy animal crackers? Has anybody never had those? Oh man, you gotta go get those uh, carnival ant cookies. And have you had those? Yeah, because I, I had them this week and you you get a stack of those and a glass of cold milk and sit down on the couch, and how strong will you get? You will feel those muscles. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I'm in the shape I'm in. I like cookies and milk. And some of you think, you know, I'm I'm trying to serve Jesus, I'm doing my best. Well, what makes you strong? When God says strengthen your heart, do you think it's just like, well, I made a promise and now just bling, I will develop spiritual muscles and spiritual strength. It doesn't matter if I sit on the couch and eat cookies. It doesn't matter if I neglect God's word. It doesn't matter if I never pray. If you avoid, where does your strength come from? My strength comes from The Lord. If you avoid the Lord, how are you going to get strong? You're going to be on the couch with me eating pink cookies and drinking milk. And Jesus will come back. And you're still just as weak and overweight and unexercised as you ever were before. Jesus is coming back and he wants you to have a strong heart. Do something about it. And We need to develop uh, some superpowers, actually. We need to develop a superpower. I I was listening to a podcast, the Influence podcast, a few years ago, and and a church pastor talked about his church. He said, our superpower at our church is unoffendableness. I think he made up that word. Can you guys say unoffendableness? (laughs) That is strength. No matter what somebody says to you to hurt your feelings, no matter what, and I get my feelings hurt a lot, man. These drivers hurt my feelings. One day, I was right out here on Cumberland, and I'm driving the speed limit, maybe two miles per hour over even, because I'm on my way to the church, and somebody cuts around me on the right, and then cuts in right in front of me, and oh, man, they hurt my feelings, and then they turned left right into the same church I was going to. (laughs) God wants us to forgive someone that's offended you, your brother in the Lord, your family, your husband. (laughs) Forgive someone who's offended you. And when you forgive them, you don't need to go to that person and say, now Sarah, the thing you said really hurt me so bad and I know what you know, I really forgive you. Don't do that. Don't be babies. Just forgive them and move forward. Keep moving towards Jesus. Page three. (laughs) Keep moving as if you were getting prepared for the rapture to take place this afternoon. It could. I'm not promising you it won't. Strengthen your hearts. And I'm not saying your feelings don't matter. They matter to God. And when, we, when Jesus comes back, God can sit down with you and go over, over all the offenses that you went through. But we can't waste our time on having hurt feelings. Strengthen your heart because the coming of the Lord is near. Don't waste time on things you can't control and people that you can't control. Focus on Jesus, not yourself, and not on others in, in a negative way. Uh, Say this with me, I will live every day for Jesus until he returns for me, even though I experience things beyond my control. Because this is spiritual maturity. This is living out the fruit of the spirit. This is living like Jesus. This is living and developing the character of Jesus. This is spiritual strength. I will trust God no matter what happens beyond my control. What I, but I can control what I say with God's power, and I will trust God and I won't grumble. James 5 9 says, Brothers, do not complain against one another. One Bible says, grumble. Brothers, do not, and there's another one of those brothers in there I told you about. Do not complain against one another in order that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge stands before the doors. There are two do nots in this passage. This is the first one. And they are very helpful advice on not falling under the judgment of Christ. This passage is going to show to you the nature and the character of God. And the first thing it shows us, just like it did under the rich men passage, that God is a judge. That's one thing about God. I'll mention some more in a minute because they're in here. Patience without groaning is something that I do have control over. Some of you don't know me, I am a complainer. I love to gripe and complain. But you know who one of my heroes is? Anybody ever seen The Wizard of Oz? My hero is Aunt Em. She's my hero. She's standing there in in the house with Elmira Gulch who's about ready to take Toto away. And Aunt M says, Amira Gulch, just because you own half the county doesn't mean you have the power to run the rest of us. For 23 years, I've been dying to tell you what I thought of you, and now, well, being a Christian woman, I can't say it. I love Aunt Em. She will not violate her Christian conscience even though it would feel good. If that's why I do it, it feels good. But I, I'm praying about it, you know. <laughs> I want to be like Ann I I don't want to say those bad things, negative things, criticism, and complaining. You remember, James had a whole section on the power of your tongue, the power of your language, the power of your, your words. And let's, if Jesus is coming back, let's not waste our time using words that hurt other people. Let's don't use words that grieve our brothers and sisters. Let's do what James says. Let's speak words that bring peace. The word peace doesn't do anything. If I say to my wife, go in peace, (laughs) and then I spend the next hour ruining her life, do you do this to people? Oh, I speak peace. And then you're difficult to live with. I'm not easy to live with aren't you glad you don't live with me? I need to learn how to speak not bitter words, not grumbling, not waste my time on useless words like that, but to speak words that actually bring peace to our relationships. I, I do this in different places that I get to visit I tone myself down to say things that exalt Jesus Christ. I've, I've, this is in my notes. This week, I was <clears throat> trying to lift somebody up in a nursing home. Well, I'm allowed to tell you, this is not a HIPAA violation. Pray for Beverly Reader. She used to go to our church, but she's in a nursing home and she has a neurological function that keeps her negative all the time all the time. And I go every week and, and I, I read scripture to her and I pray with her. We pray out loud. And while we were praying out loud and I'm encouraging her, her roommate who has listened to me week after week, after week, after week, her roommate says to me, are you going to come over here and pray for me? How you never know what's going to happen. Speak words that lift up Jesus, speak words that lift up other people. Don't put them down. And I got an invitation to pray with somebody. And uh, I can't tell you the whole story because she cussed after we prayed. But. She she said, I said, now you can pray every day that you'll live more like Jesus. I I told her the most important prayer you can pray is to ask Jesus to forgive your sins. And then I said, now you can pray every day, ask Jesus to help you show God's love to other people. And then she said, oh, I need that because, and then she She goes, (laughs) because, yeah, you do need Jesus. (laughs) When I, after I uh, left, when I was getting ready to leave the room, she, she says, uh, you made my day. That's what she said about praying. You don't know. I'm nothing special. You guys go somewhere and just lift up Jesus. Doors will open for ministry. Anyway, let's get back on track because we're going to run out of time. Where was I at? Don't be bitter. Don't grumble. Expect the return of Jesus. If, we, if we're really expecting Jesus to return, we need to start restoring a conscience of what we say and how we say it. Yes, you do, Zach. Okay. It's not always easy to speak for God. And the next example, the second example comes from verse 10. It says, brothers, take as an example of perseverance and endurance the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets spoke for God. Sometimes they were opposed by religious leaders. They were opposed by government leaders. They were opposed by the people they were trying to prophesy to. But they kept speaking and prophesying the word of God. Jeremiah had a lot of opposition. And in chapter 20, verse nine, Jeremiah said, if I say I will not mention God, I will no longer speak in his name. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like that? Uh, it'd be better if I just don't even mention Jesus. It'd be better if I, if I stop talking about the Bible. It's easier to get along with people instead of rocking the boat. Anyway, do you know what I mean? Isaiah Jeremiah said I will not if I say I will not mention him and I will no longer speak in his name then it becomes in my heart like a fire burning locked up in my bones and it, I struggle to contain it and I am not able if you are into the word of God to make you strong it Get so much of it that you can't contain it, that it has to come out of your life, that the word of God that you have buried in your heart, that you planted there, that you begin to just speak it wherever that you are. You know what God said? God said that he loves you. You know what God said? God said that he bought you at the price, the blood of Jesus Christ, and now you belong to God. Tell people these things. You belong to God. Jacob himself, how much time have I got left? Not too much, right? Okay, I'm going to tell you about the guy that wrote this book. He was the half-brother of Jesus. His dad was Joseph. His mother was Mary. His grandpa was also called Jacob. How many of you remember the year 2002 when they found his, his ossuary in Jerusalem? There was a lot of lies and controversy that went with it, but they found this box, this bone box, ossuary. Of Jacob's. Now, about his life, he lived in Jerusalem right after the time of of Jesus had ascended. He was opposed by the Jews, but he never stopped being a Jew. Every day he marched over to the temple going through all the purification rites a Jew had to do. You're not allowed to go up on the temple mountain those days unless you went through all the purification rites. He had to be ritually pure, and he went every single day. At this time, the church of Jerusalem had been persecuted. They were scattered. Do you remember Saul and Stephen, that, those scenes? Okay people were being stoned to death, but James stuck it out in Jerusalem. He wasn't from Jerusalem. Remember his dad uh, had a house over in Bethlehem, a short distance away, but he stuck it out in Jerusalem. And every day he went up to the temple and he got down on his knees on the hard stones and he prayed for his brothers and sisters that were being persecuted around the world. And that's why he wrote this book to them. He wrote this book to them after he wrote this book, he wrote this book just before the Council of Jerusalem, so about 45 AD. In fact, this book you're reading, the book of James, was the very first New Testament scripture. It's the first one written. He didn't borrow from any of other New Testament books because they didn't exist. This was the first one. And he wrote this about 45 But a few years later, going up to the temple, getting on his knees, praying on the stones, one historian said his knees turned into calluses like a camel's knees from praying so much. You know why he prayed so much? He believed Jesus was coming back. He believed in talking to God so strongly and he believed in, in Jesus so strongly. If you were to compare this book with the teachings of Jesus, like the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, you'd find every bit of those teachings is in this book. If you compare this book with the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, that was the scripture that Jacob had at that time. You'll find that he cites and pulls from all of the Old Testament prophets and teaching. This is an amazing book for study. Look, just in this passage alone, how he borrows from Jesus. There's a parable in here, and there's a beatitude in here, in this passage. He knew what, his brother, what Jesus taught his Savior, his King. I won't call him his brother, because James didn't call it. Jacob didn't call Jesus his brother at the beginning, but they got tired of it. The Jews got tired of it. This guy talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's a Jew. What's he talking about Jesus for? So they followed him up on top of the temple mount, and they threw him down onto the pavement below. It didn't kill him. It almost killed him. So they ran and got a club and they beat him until he was dead. As they were beating him, he was praying out loud for the people killing him. That's Jacob. So when this guy gives you advice, don't give up, don't quit, be patient be strong, endure. This guy knows what he's talking about. He lived it through to the end. Anyway, do some, do some reading on, on Jacob. Look at verse 11. Behold. I think there's three beholds in this chapter, in this section. We consider blessed. Here's here's the beatitude. Blessed are those who have endured. You've heard about the patient endurance of Job. This is the third example here, Job. And you saw the outcome from the Lord, that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job's example is well known. How many of you have ever heard the patience of Job? All of us have heard of the patience of Job. In Job one twenty one, Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many of us enjoy saying, well, the Lord took stuff away from me. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Earlier this year, I lost 60% of my income. Thank you, Jesus. Right? I did, though. I said, God will take care of us, Lizzie. And he did. But... you. We have to have this attitude. It isn't just the good times. Job said, even though he kill me, chapter 13, verse 15 in Job, even though he kill me, I will hope in him. However, I will defend my ways before him. Even if God kills me, I will trust in him. The outcome of the Lord in all this says that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the nature of God. Remember I said he's a judge? Yes, he is a judge. He's not hateful though. He's a judge that is compassionate and merciful. This is the nature of God. Do you know who God is? Do you know that he stays that way? When you're sick, when you're very sick, does God stop being God? No. Is he still compassionate and merciful? You need to do this. You need to believe in the true nature of God. God's love endures forever. It never fails. God never stopped loving me. Some of you are going through difficult times, and you need to know God loves you. Some of you know someone that's going through a hard time, and you need to be the person to step up and say, this doesn't change God. God loves you. He is compassionate and merciful all the time. You can trust God no matter what happens. Even if, like Job, even if God kills me, I will trust him. The wrong view of God's character makes you weak, and fragile and breakable. If you think God is there just to keep you happy and give you pink cookies all day long, you're gonna break easily. If you instead know the character of God, that God is always compassionate and merciful no matter what happens, you will endure. And blessed are those who endure. My experiences don't change God's character. I will demonstrate patience, strength, perseverance, And endurance until Jesus returns. And it's as if James is trying to pound this home. He mentions patience three times as a noun, one time as a verb. He mentions endurance once as a noun, once as a verb. He mentions strength in there, of course. And he mentions perseverance. So James is trying to get you guys to understand this. Patience, 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 patience. Endurance, endurance, perseverance. I'm going to hold on to God. Verse 12 says, above, Now above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, in order that you may not fall under judgment. It turn, returns a third time to the idea of the, God's character being that of a judge. And it says here, don't make empty promises and that will save you. Don't plan on having devotions tomorrow. Oh, I promise you, God, I'm going to read my Bible tomorrow. Get up and do it. Don't, don't say, oh, I promise you, Jesus. Do something about it. I, we can give an altar call now and say, uh, who wants to be ready for Jesus' return? Who wants to promise that you will endure? Who wants to promise? that you will be strong? Who wants to promise that you won't grumble? Who wants to promise that you're going to speak words of blessing to other people? Who wants to promise? And it won't do anything tomorrow for you. Don't promise to live for Jesus. Just do it. Live like Jesus told you to live. Don't promise to love your neighbor. Do it. Uh, I'm really out of time, but I'll tell you another story. I was in Walmart this week. <clears throat> buying pink cookies and milk. And uh, I went out and put them in the trunk of my car, but I passed a woman on one of those motorized scooters, and she was yelling at one of the em- Walmart employees. And I overheard her say that she had lost her keys and she couldn't find them. And then she's in the handicapped cart. I put my stuff in the trunk and I thought, I gotta go look for keys. <laughs> so I spent the next hour scouring Walmart for keys, looking everywhere. I failed. I never found her keys at all. I just, I just thought in my heart, if I pray, God will show me where these keys are. Her car was unlocked. I went over into the handicapped parking spot. I went through her car <laughs> and looked for her keys. Her keys weren't in the car. I thought she had switched carts. She had one of the old junky ones. She wanted one of the, the new ones. Walmart's got new fancy ones. So she had driven her old cart and switched in the parking lot. So I searched the whole parking lot. I searched uh, all the carts. I thought, well, maybe she put her keys in the basket. On the old cart, I never found her keys. So if you have the keys, (laughs) would you please give them to me, and I'll take them back to Walmart. And I failed. I wasted an hour of my time, didn't I? My milk got warm. My pink fudgy cookies melted in the trunk of the car. I just did, I did what needed to be done. I showed kindness to that poor woman. And now that I've bragged about it, I've lost my blessing. <laughs> <laughs> I want you guys to do this stuff. What are we doing? Just sitting around waiting, doing nothing until Jesus comes back. No, let's become real active Christians, not just those that make these empty promises. Let's don't grumble and complain. Let's be strong. It takes strength to forgive people that offend you. Jesus is coming soon. It's time for us to do this. Stop dwelling on temporary things. Look at the eternal things and move ahead. Nothing temporary changes the eternal character of God, A eternally compassionate and merciful god and savior our judge king jesus and as the musicians come i guess that's the clue the cue the this slide says waiting for there's is read it out loud with me Waiting for the imminent return of Jesus, I will not give in to my own weakness, but I will trust in God's divine justice and his eternal, compassionate, and merciful character. God calls us to maturity, to continue to grow in grace, to continue to grow in strength, and we need to be doing it. I will live for Jesus until he Returns. Would you stand up and let's sing this with the worship uh, team as a prayer. This is our commitment to God.